One Sunday afternoon, when all was peaceful in his family's house, the pastor of a small Midwestern church in the community heard some shouting and arguing and scuffling out in his backyard. Hurrying over to the window, he saw his little boy out in the backyard with his fists clenched, staring down at the big neighborhood bully who had come into the backyard. Before he could run to his son's rescue, he heard him scream at the top of his lungs, I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. The poor neighborhood bully, thoroughly disoriented by this terrifying formula that was foreign to his little heathen mind, turned around and ran as fast as he could from the backyard, never looking back. That Sunday, that little boy heard the lesson on David and Goliath. And this little boy decided to take this application and shout out a word to his enemy. I trust that today we will do likewise. We will take this message today and we shout out to our enemy. Because that's the only way. The only way we'll win. We can fight with all our might and we can overcome these sins. Mostly. We can work so hard, have self-discipline and try so hard to overcome it. But if the condition is just right, we're going to slip. But when we use the sword of the Spirit and we are tempted, he will flee. The Bible says so. Turn with me to Ephesians 6. It's been a while since I've been in there. I'll start in verse 10 again. Today we will find out that Jesus himself is the Word. And we've... Let's start in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, not our might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be, you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's why we cannot overcome. It's because we're fighting against the spiritual realm. So that is we have to fight back with the Spirit. Our flesh is not against flesh and blood, so our flesh will never overcome the evil spiritual realm. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
Above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now we have learned in my previous messages how wonderfully God has protected us in this battle. We have put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the gospel of peace. We've taken the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, and these are all designed to protect us from the attacks. Now today, we're going to be looking at the weapon that God has given us, the only offensive weapon. Yes, it does say about prayer later, but that is more our connection. The, our true weapon is the sword. And the word that Paul uses for sword actually has the meaning of a knife. The Roman soldiers carried two types of swords. The one was the regular sword as we would picture today. It's big, heavy, and it's very hard to keep sharp. The other one is called a dagger, which they carried in the sheath on their leg. And that is a short six to 18 inch, sharp on two sides, going to a point. And it's actually this, that sword is what Peter used to cut off Malchus's ear. They are extremely sharp. The sword of the spirit is not this big sword you're flaying around just hoping you can hit something. That's not what Paul is talking about. It is very precision-oriented instrument. It's used in the hand-to-hand -hand combat. Only useful if you find the vulnerable spot and inflict the wound. And the Bible says we have been given this weapon. And this sword of the Spirit is the rhema of God. It's the word of God. Now there are two Greek words that are used for our word, word. Now one is the logos. But you've got to have the Logos in order to have the Rhema. Now the word Logos is used in John 1. Verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in four, verse 14 it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. So there, it says that Jesus Christ himself is the word. And like I've said, we have discovered that we actually put on Christ. He is our defense. All the armor that we've been putting on is Jesus Christ himself. Now this weapon 
is also Jesus Christ. Because we can, in the name of Jesus, and he must flee. The Bible, the totality of God's message to us, is Logos. So now what Paul was saying was it's the rhema of God. The rhema would be the sayings of God, but it's used for a specific time and for a specific purpose. It's taken out of the Logos. In other words, the Bible is like an armory and inside are all sorts of swords that we can use. Now when Paul said to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, did not mean to pick up the Bible and tuck it in your arm and look good and think it'll, take, it'll scare him away because it won't because it's not the Logos. He said, hold to the sayings of God in your heart. The Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons. It's a laboratory of infallible medicine. It's a mine of exhaustless wealth. It's a guidebook for every road. It's a chart for every sea a medicine for every malady, and a balm for every wor- uh, wound. Sorry about that. It's the armory in which you find the swords of the Spirit. So the Bible is actually a double blessing. It has everything that God has ever said that he wants us to know. And it has specific sayings of God that he has given to us for specific times and purposes. Using the sword of the Spirit, we are to know the Word of God so that we can use it carefully. You've got to be on target. Use the right Word, which is given by the Spirit. Now, I am not saying that the Bible becomes the Word of God when we use it in a certain way. The Bible is the Word of God whether we read it or not. It's still the Word of God. It still means just as much. And the Bible is the Word of God whether it means anything to us or not. The Bible is the Word of God if we ever feel anything or not when we read it. It's the Word of God no matter what we do with it. It can never not be the Word of God. And it will never change. Nothing we, can, we do can ever change it from being, from being the Word of God. We can 
try to twist it around to make us right, but it's no longer the Word of God. The Bible is the infallible Word of God, period. It stops there. And it's our only weapon. Paul writes in Romans 10, verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. As you read God's word, his sayings become alive and touch your heart. And when that happens, your faith comes alive. It becomes real to you. It takes root in you. And it's a rhema of God. It becomes a revelation to you. Now that's the same sense that Paul is writing to the Ephesians. That the word of God has got to be real. And use it. Make it a part of yourself. Now one morning after my ordination I was laying there in bed discouraged it was many doubts it's just who am I only two and a half years of the converted living I was still trying to weed through these, the differences. What do I want to keep? What do I hang on? And what shouldn't I hang on? And here I am, ordained. I didn't know where, where to go. I wanted to do nothing. That morning, I received a rhema. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. That was the sword I could use for Satan's attack on me with this discouragement. My faith became alive. I had faith in God again. Because of that rhema that he gave to me for that specific time and purpose. That's how the sword works. But Satan does not give up. Another morning, I lay there weeping. I knew the time was drawing nigh for my first message. How can I preach to these people? They know so much more than I do. That's all true, by the way. I was just overwhelmed. How can I do that? Then it was as if Jesus was right there and whispered, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll do it. You just have to give up. 
and be that vessel. Again, I was strengthened. Now this last month, you know, Satan does not give up on trying to discourage you or try to wear you down. Dad was in the hospital, constantly going up there. I was neglecting the children. I felt like a failure. I apologized to him. I'm not very fatherly right now. I'm just worn out and weary. Children are a gift of God. Believe it. About the next day, there's a sticky note that was stuck on the c my computer. Well, there's never a sticky note there, so it caught my eye immediately. It was placed there by my favorite daughter. And it had a message from Isaiah 40. He gives power to the faint and to them that have no might he increases strength. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What else can you say when you see that? And there's just a warmth that goes into your body. And there's a strength that you haven't been feeling. It's just, thank you, Lord. There's another rhema. And Satan had to go. Another sword pierced him. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It says the scripture is alive and powerful. Is it alive in us? It's got to be alive in us. It's got to be in our heart, living in our heart in order to be powerful. It's got to be alive, then it's got power. And can pierce the heart of men, even causing an enemy to retreat. See, that's the dagger. It's a two-edged sword used for stabbing. It is useful in discerning truth. And it's the most dreaded weapon we can use against the enemy. See, we must know the truth. Because Satan will come with truth mixed with error. And if we don't know the truth, it looks good. It looks real. But the word of God, if it's living in you, you, it's a discerner. You'll pick it up right away. 
A metal sword can pierce the body, but the word of God pierces the heart. A metal sword requires the practiced hand of the soldier to be effective, but the sword of the spirit needs nothing. It's powerful in itself. It carries its own power and is able to function apart from a soldier's hand. Isaiah 55 says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I send it. That tells me it does not need me to accomplish its purpose. I can help, but it's not reliant on me. If I fail, the word of God is still going to be moving and accomplishing what God has sent it for. I can fail, but it will not fail. A metal sword wounds the heart, but the sword of the spirit wounds to heal. See, God never wastes that pain. It's to bring us into healing. And Christ is the master swordsman when it comes to using this weapon. See, when the devil tempted Jesus, he always responded, it is written. There's a, there's a lot to say there. This is a section I, for time purposes, I pulled it out because I didn't want you to sit here for an hour. But there's a lot in there. Study that, read through it, and see the types of temptations that Satan brought to Jesus. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The three things that are in the world. That's all he has to offer. Well, he has a lot to offer, but that's really nothing to give. Just condemnation. I guess I'll take a little bit of time. Because of the bread, it would have satisf satisfied his hunger. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. When he was on the pinnacle, the top corner of the temple, the rabbis had this tradition of believing that the Messiah will come and land on the temple roof. So if Jesus would have jumped down, they would have believed he was the Messiah. And he would have had a large following, which would have pleased his eyes. Now the other one was, he saw all the kingdom and everything. Satan wanted to tempt him, just bypass the death. Bypass the cross. You can have it right now if you just bow down. That would have been the pride of life because he'd have had his kingdom right now. Not having to go through what he had to go through. How are we today? Does he not come in that way? You can get to heaven without the cross. That's foolishness going and dying on the cross. You can have it right here. Just do as you please. Have fun. 
It takes a sacrifice. H.P. Barker wrote about the day he looked out the window into the garden and he saw three things. First, he saw a butterfly. The butterfly was beautiful and it would land on a flower, then it would flutter to another flower, then another, and only for a second or two, it would sit, then move on. It would touch as many blossoms as it could but it derived very little benefit from it all. Then he saw a botanist, which a botanist is someone who studies flowers. The botanist had a big notebook under his arm and a big magnifying glass. The botanist would lean over a certain flower and would look for a long time and then write in his notebook, he was there for hours, writing notes. And then he stuck his notebook under his arm and tucked his magnifying glass in his pocket and walked away. Then he saw the third thing as he looked out his window into the garden. He looked and he noticed a bee, just a little bumblebee. The bee would land on a flower and would sink down deep into the flower and would extract all the nectar and pollen it could carry. He would leave filled. We are either like the butterfly, the botanist, or the bee. Some Christians are like the butterfly they just flip from one Bible study to another, from one sermon to the next sermon, or from one commentary to the next, gaining little more than a nice feeling and some good ideas. Some are like the botanists. They study the scriptures carefully. They take copious notes, and they gain so much information, but little truth. You see, it's in their head. It's not in their heart. It's got to be in the heart in order to make a difference in your life. And once it gets into the heart, that's when it's applied to your own life. In the head, it, the one song, heaven and hell is 20 inches apart. Knowing in your mind, do, yeah, knowing in your mind than doing with your heart. It's got to be connected. We need to have our mind. We need that wisdom. But once it goes to the heart, now it's knowledge. Then there are others like the bee, which go to the Bible to be taught by God and to grow in their knowledge of, of him. So I hope that our desire is to go dig deep into the word and suck every bit of truth that we can. Every time you open your Bible, you should say, Lord God, 
Help me be like this little bumblebee today. Help me to go in here and get everything there is for me today. I don't want to read it for an assignment. Help me to hear your voice as I read it. Lord, there may be some swords in this chapter that I'm going to need. So help me to see where they are. If you're going to be a Christian, you've got to be a soldier. You're going to be a soldier. And if you're a soldier, you need more than just armor to keep you from getting hit. You need the weapon that God has given you. And it's just one, and that's the, the uh, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's those rhemas that God gives you out of His Word. If you use your Bible in a proper way and learn how to use the rhema of God, there is no way you will be victimized. But it's when we shy away from it. It's not God's fault. It's not the Word's fault why we are victimized. It's because we have strayed. You, you will be victorious. The psalmist wrote, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. He even understood that. The word of God has got to be hidden in our heart because out of our heart is how we respond. You will be able to say with the authority of the Lord Jesus, it is written, and the devil will flee. James says, resist the devil. Well, first, sorry. If, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God first. So I just want to encourage you, go forth with courage. Stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And use the sword of the Spirit. And let's show Satan what, we're, what we are really made of. We are made by God for God. And let's show Satan that. He is defeated. And he has no power over us unless we let him. It's our choice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful and grateful how you have provided the way for us. Thank you that we have the power through Jesus to be called your sons and we are heirs of you of your glory. Father, just pray for each one here that each one of us can go forth with courage, with might, standing strong in you, having our faith in you, our full confidence in you, you have crushed 
the head of the serpent. And Father, through Jesus Christ, we can do likewise. But it's only through you. So we thank you. We thank you for your mercy. Knowing that we deserve the wrath. And we're undeserving of your grace and your mercy. But only because you love us so much. And you desire that loving relationship with us. You desire our heart to be drawn to you, be turned towards you. It's only through Jesus. Father, we thank you. Bless each one that has come this morning. I trust that each heart has been comforted and blessed by your message, Lord. May your word never return void, but that it will accomplish what you have sent it to accomplish. Bless each one as we leave. Keep your hedge of protection around each one. And may we make your name known, whoever we're around, this next week. Strengthen us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.